Good evening, everyone. We have been so looking forward to this time together for the last several, several weeks, and um, we're just excited to be here. You know, I'm, I'm really impressed for, that people will come out to a mission conference on a Friday night, and I think Tim Hawkins is in town, and there's some basketball thing happening, too, that maybe some people are staying home watching. I don't know, um, but you're the spiritual ones. That's what I think. You're out on a, for a mission conference on a Friday night, and we're so excited to be here. Greetings from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Woodland Park Baptist Church, our home church. I share a common love for Wayne Barber and Diana, and um, greetings from our home church and from AMG International, our home office there in Chattanooga. I want to just say thank you very quickly to Eric for having us. I'm completely humbled to be here, I'll say that. We've had a relationship with the church as part of your missionary family for the last, oh, I think, 13 years now, and came to the very first mission conference back in 2004, and it's just been such a blessing for us, such an encouragement in our lives over the years, this relationship, this partnership with Hoffmantown, and I want to thank you for that, and just to be here this weekend, we're very excited. Um, Alina, working so hard, taking such good care of us, thank you, Alina, Mike, Donahue, John Ripley, your new missions director. Love, my, uh, love John and the relationship we've had with him. Excited for his new role. And so thank you. You know, we're um, next three days we're going to go around the world. I hope this isn't the only time that we're able to meet together. And uh, We're going to start in Africa tonight, but we're going to go to Asia in the morning after breakfast. And then on, on Sunday in, in the K groups, we're going to go to the... Uh, Eastern Europe, talk to them about what God's doing in Greece, and we'll also spend a little time in Latin America, in Central America, in, in Guatemala. So we're going to go around the world uh, over the next couple of days, and um, I hope you're able to participate and um, just get a glimpse of what God's doing. And so we want to start tonight where it really matters. I need to see if I can do this. There we go. With the Word of God, um, as Christians... It's vital that we see the world the way God sees it. And from that slide, you can read with me. I'll just read it to you. Many of us have grown up learning the Bible one story at a time, with each story directly applied to our lives in some way. The reality is that the Bible is much more about God and His passion to be worshipped by all peoples than it is about us. There are more than 1,600 verses throughout the Bible that show God's passion for His glory to be enjoyed by all peoples of the earth. This is one of them. It may be familiar to you. It's from Psalm 96. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. And I'll read just a couple of others to you. A couple that stood out to me as I studied this. David and Goliath, familiar story, right? 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47 say this. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've taunted. And in verse 46 David said this, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down 
and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the, to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the field. And then he said this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. So even as David confronted Goliath, his purpose was to give glory to God, that all the earth might know. A little later on in 1 Kings, Solomon is dedicating the temple. And in 1 Kings 8, verses 41 through 43, Solomon said this, also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country, for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and of your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this house. And then Solomon said this in verse 43, here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that what? All the peoples of the earth may know your name. To fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know this house which I have built is called by your name. So even as Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings, his purpose was that all the peoples of the earth would know the name of the Lord. And then just one quick example from the New Testament. Mars Hill, Acts 17. Paul is talking to the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers on Mars Hill. And in verse 26 of Acts 17, he said this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Verse 27, why? That they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. So these are just a few examples throughout Scripture. And there are many, many more, as we saw from the previous slide. This theme is woven throughout Scripture. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the peoples. It's important that we understand how God views the world and what his purposes are from his word. So who are these nations? In the Bible, the word most often refers to ethnic people groups. The words peoples or Gentiles are also used to convey this same idea. So what does that mean for us? Well, consider this with me tonight. Are you a world Christian? Not a worldly one, (laughs) a world Christian. A world Christian is defined as Someone who understands God's heart for the world and strategically lives their lives in such a way that wherever they are and whatever they do, they're working to see Him glorified among all the nations. You see, God has a heart for all the nations. And so consider this as we work through this tonight and throughout the conference Where am I in regard to this definition of a world Christian? And what does it mean? What does it take to be this kind of person as a follower of Christ? I think it's helpful if we understand the difference maybe between beliefs and convictions. My wife and I have three daughters. They're all adults now. We've survived 
most of that. Our, young, our youngest is 21. She still lives at home. She attends the local university. She travels downtown and back most every day to school. So we have quite a bit of interaction with her. Well, lo and behold, thank you, Lord, there's a young man in her life who's a believer, and it looks pretty serious, looking pretty good. The problem is she lives in Chattanooga. He lives in Panama City. Interesting. Long-distance relationship. Um, but it's kind of fun to watch. They were friends for about a year, and they were texting or, you know, talking. They knew each other from elementary school just by chance. He's actually from Chattanooga. He just ends up living in Panama City now. So they're friends. And finally, the boy gets the guts to come see my daughter. He drives up to Chattanooga one weekend. Spends a couple days in town. Then they start dating. Like it's official. You know, we just had Valentine's, right, back in February. My daughter comes into my office, my little office downstairs in our house, the Saturday before Valentine's. She had just finished crying. She's holding a vase with two dozen beautiful roses in it that had just been delivered to our front door. That's conviction. This young man had gone from just thinking about my daughter as a prospect. Now he's all in. He spent some money on those roses. Then I was under pressure because I hadn't done that for my wife. <laughs> and there they are sitting in our living room on the coffee table for all to see. Why do some of my beliefs affect the way I live my life while others don't? Someone once said, a belief is something you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. We all hold lots of beliefs, but few of our beliefs become convictions. Beliefs are things we give mental assent to. We tend to think of the mind when we talk about beliefs. Beliefs become convictions when they direct the way we live our lives. When we talk about convictions, we use words like passion, burden, and dedication. We tend to think of the heart and the hands when we talk about convictions. Almost any Christian would say they believe in the Great Commission, right? You could even ask them if they believe God desires every believer to be involved in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled, and they'll likely tell you that they do. So why then do so few Christians, and churches for that matter, actively participate in taking the gospel around the world and specifically to the least reach, those who have no access to the gospel. Why is it that the harvest is still so great and the laborers are so few? Well, I would have you consider that it could be, maybe, that we lack conviction. That we lack conviction. So this is why we're here this weekend to be reminded of God's purposes in the world and how I may be engaged with Him for His glory among the nations. I'm amazed that in John 15, 16, Jesus said this. He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's an amazing statement, if you think about it. That Jesus and God the Father and their plan 
to sow the seeds of the gospel, he chose us to do that through. What a privilege and what a responsibility. Okay, AMG, quickly, AMG International, the ministry Tracy and I serve with, have been proclaiming God's glory among the nations for the last 75 years. We're thankful to be a part of this ministry. We're in 34 countries around the world now. We've been with AMG for 17 years of those. In our mission statement, we exist to encourage, equip, and develop Christ-centered national leaders to become instruments of gospel advancement and community transformation. Transformation by the gospel in communities worldwide. These are the areas that we focus on. Child care, we call it Bridge to Life, helping children from just when they're little all the way through high school and beyond so that they lead productive, fruitful lives for the kingdom. Disciple makers, pastor training, helping equip and empower local national pastors and the church, coming alongside uh, leaders in the church and helping equip them and um, India and I, uh, Eric and I are praying about going to India later this year, in fact, and doing that very thing. Medical care. We have hospitals and clinics in several countries around the world. Greece and Guatemala, Uganda, uh, India. Disaster relief. Many of our ministries actually have been born out of a disaster that's happened somewhere in the world. Our ministry in Guatemala, where we have eight, over 8,000 children sponsored, actually started through a hurricane that's, that hit Guatemala back in the 70s. And that ministry now has been going on for over 40 years. Peru, you know, just recently had flooding, and we're involved there. Uh, where we have people on the ground, we respond when there's a natural disaster as well. So just a visual here of our five areas of focus. And so in each of these, national workers are the hands and feet of AMG in the countries where we work. Men and women reaching out to their own people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. AMG comes alongside these committed believers to enable them to serve in Christian ministry. At the heart of every AMG ministry outreach is a national worker. And you know, for Tracy and I, when we started with AMG, we began leading teams and went around the world taking short-term teams in support of our national workers. And we fell in love with these guys. They're on the front lines. They know their, their people. They know the needs. They know the culture. They know the language. They know how most effectively to reach their own people with the gospel. And so for us, we're very passionate about the piece of the pie that God's given AMG and working specifically through national workers. Uh, Cost-effective and very um, effective in ministry as well. And so that's, that's what AMG is really all about. Specifically, these national workers cover all of these areas, field ministry leaders, medical doctors and nurses, teachers, school directors, faculty, camp directors and staff, house parents, program directors, church planners. And we love our national workers. And those of you who know, some of them do too. This is one of them. Many of you may know him. Ruben Musimi, his wife, Florence. Rachel, Krista, Becky, Sophia in the picture. He has four daughters. He has one more than me, and he's still survived, so we have that in, in common. You know, uh, 20 years ago, after Reuben completed his education in Texas, he had a master's degree and a Ph.D. He could have taught in the U.S. He could have stayed here. He had the credentials to do that, but in his heart was to go back to Uganda, to his own people, 
And he had trouble finding a mission that would send him. And finally someone said, hey, you know, there's this place up in Chattanooga called AMG. I think they might work with you. So he came to see Dr. Zodiades. And sure enough, Dr. Zodiades said, go, brother, we'll bless you. Go with our blessing and we'll support you. And that was 20 years ago. And so what started with just 11 children in a little child care center out in Ruben's hometown called Bugonji, way out, no electricity, no water, has now become, uh, in that same community, what we hope to begin in May, in fact, is a nursing college. There's a uh, child care center there. We have 800-plus sponsored children throughout the country in Uganda with seven child care centers, uh, two clinics, a radio program that reaches millions every week that, Ray, that Ruben produces, and we train over 400 national pastors in, in Uganda uh, today, uh, every year. So through this one man's faithfulness and his desire to go back to his own people, uh, God is blessing and continues to do so. And Hoffentown has been a very big part of that, and we're so thankful for that partnership. So I have a quick question for you, a little quiz. State of the world, true or false? What do you think? There are more evangelicals in Africa than in all of North America and Europe combined. True or false? True? Raise your hand. Any falses? Any falses? Y'all are too good. Yes, it's true. Many people are surprised by that. So God is at work in Africa today, isn't he? Many people know Jesus as their Savior. Uh, but just as Reuben wanted to return to Uganda to share the gospel with his people... Jesus chose to do the same thing. I just want to spend a minute looking at this passage. It's a familiar one. Really, we read it at Christmas time. The angel's talking to Joseph here, Matthew chapter 1. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I love this passage because it identifies Jesus from the beginning, before he's born, what his name is and what his purpose is, who he's going to be. And I would not do justice being from AMG if I didn't do this. So give me just a moment. Dr. Zodiades was famous for saying there's two Greek words for every English word, right? And there are, almost. The word name in this verse, actually comes from two Greek words. Amazing. They are. Onemi is one of them, and it means to help. A name helps us to know a thing, doesn't it? The other Greek word is Nemo. Nemo, probably, like the fish, but not really. Nemo, and it means to attribute, because a particular name is attributed to everything. Now, my story with this is, my oldest daughter is married, and she had our first grandson 16 months ago, and my son-in-law went to, they met at Moody, and he went to Trinity, and he studied the Old Testament, and so when she was pregnant... They kept thinking Old Testament names, of course. So his name is Judah, and that's a great name, isn't it? But I knew when my daughter married this young man, his last name is Patty, P-A-T-T-Y. 
And I told my wife, there'll never be a grandson named Pat out of that couple. Right? Pat, Patty. I mean, why, why would you do that to somebody? So we have Judah Patty. And uh, Laura, our oldest daughter, is also pregnant now with a number two son coming. And they're going to name him a, another Old Testament name. But I can't tell you that because it's not my place to do that. They'll have to tell you. Um, but it's okay. So I'm counting on my other daughters to come away with a, a, a pat. Names are significant, aren't they? Jesus, as you may or may not know, actually means salvation or Jehovah saves. It's significant. It's going to save his people from their sins. But the thing that I wanted to focus on in this particular passage tonight is the fact that he's saving his people from their sins. I went to high school in a little town called in Ray County. And in our part of Tennessee, we live in Hamilton County now. People pick on people from Ray County. They think they're backward. They think they're kind of, you know, redneck. They're, they're the salt of the earth is what they are. They're my people. Okay? And you might have some people too. I don't know. Most of us have our people, right? Well, it's kind of cool to think that Jesus counts all of us in this room as his people. Why? Because we're all sinners. And he came to save us. But more than that, he came to identify with us. When I stand before the judge, I'm condemned. Jesus takes my place and stands there and says, no, I, I paid that price. I took his sin. I became sin for him. He's my advocate, Jesus is. He was numbered with sinners. He had a part with them, with us. And I think Somehow, that is what we have to be reminded of and let God do a fresh work in my heart for that conviction that we talked about to begin to take hold. We can get comfortable in our Christianity and we can forget what it was to be lost. God's still saving sinners and he's still wanting to use me to do that. And that is an awesome, awesome thing. I want to read a little story to you. I know I've got to get going here. I'm almost done. A few more minutes. We get letters from children in Africa all the time, from Uganda. And we got one earlier this year that I just thought, this is perfect. She's writing her sponsor. <clears throat> and she talks about you know, it's how it's great to hear from you again. Hope you're fine. I've been well. So has my family. And she goes on and on. And then she said this. She said, she's talking to her sponsor in the U.S., okay? The child in Uganda. In our child care program. And she said this. I believe you're happy that Donald Trump won the election. <laughs> And I wish all the best for you and your country as Trump prepares to become president of America. And I pray 
that he makes your wonderful country great again. Isn't that the most amazing thing? That this little girl in Uganda knew he had an election, knew Trump won, and knew his slogan. But beyond that, she actually thought, thinks he's going to make America great again. So what will make America great again? Maybe you think that too. Maybe I think that. Maybe I hope that. But what will make America great again, or any country for that matter? Another passage, just briefly. Deuteronomy 6, we all know it. Let me read it quickly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. What will make America great again? Love the Lord. Us, love the Lord, obey his commands, obey his word. Number two, pass on our faith to the next generation, right? We have to teach them to obey the Lord. Thirdly, make sharing our faith a priority. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Teach them diligently to your sons. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. These words which I'm commanding you today. This is how countries become great. Isn't it? We had a mission conference at Woodland Park a couple months ago. And we, this subject came up. And then a missionary in the room, we were having a lunch. And he said, the Great Commission is what's going to make America great again. Think about that. And I thought about that. You know, he's right. That's what really we're talking about here, isn't it? And there was a time in generations past in America where this wouldn't have been quite so foreign, would it? What we're talking about here. God is still working and can still use us to impact future generations. This young lady, some of you know, she's serving in Uganda. She's one of our missionaries. We do have missionaries. They come alongside our national works around the world. Her name is Allie Hauser. You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, how I finished my course. I love that. I'm always encouraged to see God's people following him, even when it may not make sense to a watching world. I mean, look at her. She's single. She's young. Let's just say it. She's white. She's from Buffalo, New York. In 2005, she and her parents started going to Uganda every year. They would go for a month, sometimes six weeks. They did this every year. Well, surprisingly, not so surprisingly, God touched Allie's heart. And so in five years after this, she wrote us. She said, I know there have been a lot of sacrifices involved, and there's a lot of work ahead. This is from her email dated August 2010. But as I've said, I've been praying about it, and I feel as though the Lord has been leading me down this path for some time. For so long, he said, wait, but now I'm feeling that he's saying go. So I guess my question now 
is, what should I do next? Isn't that great? Step of faith right here. God's working in this young lady's heart. Very unlikely missionary, right, to go to deepest, darkest Uganda. And yet she's willing to step out and say, you know what, I think he's saying go now. She went for two years. We had several things she had to do before she went. She did them. They weren't easy. We wanted her to have success and longevity as a young, single female missionary. Two years into this, she signed up for two more. She's almost been there four years now. Tracy walks with her as her first contact at AMG, her primary contact. It's amazing what God's doing in Allie's life. And we're excited to see that God is still sending. And just a quick story from her most recent newsletter. It's great. It's a picture from her, Allie's most recent newsletter we just received about a month ago. And she said this as the caption to this picture. She said this, On the day I was supposed to leave for my training, these little ones showed up at my door doing everything they could to get me to stay. But teacher, who will teach us the Bible every day? But teacher, how many nights will you be gone? After my answer of three nights, this was the look that they gave me. Look at that face. You know, there's a verse in Romans 10. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Have you ever wondered about that? We didn't check Allie's feet when she came to us as a missionary candidate. We don't look at their feet. But you'd think we should with that verse, right? You have pretty feet? No, those aren't, no. We didn't look at her feet. What does the verse mean? I heard it explained this way once. I kind of like it. When Allie went through the process and prepared and raised support and trusted God, and God sent her to Uganda. And she got off the plane in Kampala. She stepped off the plane. What's the first part of her body that touched Uganda as a missionary? It was her feet. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The first part of our anatomy that goes when God sends us, the first part that gets there is our feet, isn't it? What will be your response to the situation of these children who want someone to come teach them their Bible? Wow. I'm, I'm challenged by that personally. How exciting for Allie to have kids that want her to be there to teach, right? I'll close with this video about our child care ministry in Uganda. Thank you for your partnership. We look forward to our weekend together. In the last few days, we have been blessed and privileged to visit uh, several of the projects that AMG has here in Uganda, where we care for young boys and girls, and we have the opportunity to help them with basic things that they need, uh, with uh, food, clothing, and medical care, and education, um, and more importantly, to disciple them with the Word of God. And we see many lives change and transform as we do that. Uh, God is doing some amazing things. It is so important to see 
us come alongside those children, invest in those lives uh, with $32 a month uh, to provide a sponsorship. And when we do that, we give them the tools that they need to become successful, to get out of the life of poverty, to help take care of their families and uh, themselves, and also to see them become testimonies for Christ uh, in uh, this area and to strengthen the local church. It really is heartbreaking when you see some of the stories and the backgrounds that these children come from. A lot of them face uh, medical needs, they need uh, to take medicine on a daily basis. Uh, for many families, education is an impossibility without outside help. So uh, it, it is a very difficult life, it is a hard life uh, of where poverty is very, very pronounced. And uh, we are grateful to be God's hand and feet in coming alongside and, and showing His love and uh, investing in His lives and uh, help them uh, come to a saving knowledge of Him and also to uh, have a, a chance for a better future through the education and other care that they are receiving through our Bridge to Life program. I'm standing right now in a, a poor area in Kampala, in the capital of Uganda. And uh, next to me is a house where three um, children have gone through AMG's Child and Youth Development Program, our Bridge to Life program. And uh, two of them have already crossed that bridge. Uh, one of them has already actually gone to the university and got a degree in uh, accounting and finance and is actually working at the, one of our AMG offices in the country. And the second one is also finishing her studies in January uh, in accounting and finance. And we praise the Lord. But more importantly, we praise the Lord because uh, uh, those children who are now young adults are committed followers of Christ. Uh, they were sharing with us how this discipleship program has impacted their lives and the difference it has made. It's really a blessing and we are grateful for everyone who is partnering with us to make this happen. Our dear sponsors, we really want to thank you so much. I thank you from the deepest of my heart because your work is so tremendous. And uh, I, I personally tell you that uh, whatever you're doing counts a lot in children's lives. Um, spiritually, physically, they really enjoy it. Children are enjoying your sponsorship, they're enjoying your support. There are those needy children that you cannot even, you wouldn't know where they will be, but they are who they are now, especially like me. Now I can boast and I say I can stand outside there and I can compete in the world market that I'm who I am. I want to thank sponsors very much for the work they are doing because they are really doing a lot of work to help these children because at least now children are having future they know that there are some people who are taking care of them who who think about them and love them so i i want to thank them so much for the work they always do